Hey, restart the economy. Thanks for joining. Hello, all of you. Come on in. Come on in. Gather around. Grab a seat. There's plenty of room to sit on the floor. Yes, it is a nice haircut. Although I saw myself from behind, and apparently not so good in the back, but who cares? You're not going to see the back of my head anyway. Well, many of you are here to enjoy a little ceremony that you know as the simultaneous sip. Yes. <laughs> uh, first block of the day. Goodbye. There's going to be a lot more blocks on this one. Today is going to be Blocko Central. You'll enjoy it. But first, if you'd like to enjoy the simultaneous sip, all you need is... What? What do you need? Yeah, that's right. You need a cup or a mug or a glass, a tank or chalice or stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure, that dopamine hit of the day, the thing that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip. And it happens now. Mm. All right. So, so uh, as you know, uh, this thing we call reality isn't real. It's actually a giant simulation that plays like a video game. And apparently there aren't that many real characters. So a lot, of, a lot of the characters in this are scenery. And the reason that I know that this is a simulation, I just, I just realized it for sure this morning, is why is it that there are seven and a half billion, whatever, billion people in the world, and every time there seems to be like a national or even international story, somehow I'm connected to it. How does that happen? I mean, seriously, what are the odds that the biggest stories in the world, so often I'm connected to them, like personally connected to them? It just doesn't seem like it could possibly be coincidence. So case in point, this, uh, the, re- the Economic Reopening Committee, what do they call themselves? The Economic Reopening Committee? I don't know. They need a new name. But it turns out I know two or three people on the committee. And what are the odds of that? It's like the most important thing that's happening out of 7 billion people. And I know two that I know of, but maybe three people on the committee. The point being that uh, we have a channel. If any of you have amazing ideas, I'd be happy to pass them along. And uh, you can feel like you're connected to the decision as well. Um you blow my mind away. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. All right. Uh, how do you win the simulation game? Well, I believe that you win the simulation game by understanding the nature of your reality. And you do that by moving up you know, layers or challenges, just like a video game. For example, this week you learned that when experts present a model of predicted performance in the future, that it's not real. (laughs) And 
Uh, second block of the day. And, um, and so, so you moved up a level. So in the video game of life, once you realize that experts are only trying to persuade you, it doesn't mean that they're dishonest or have bad intentions, but when they give you uh, graphs and charts and stuff, those are just for persuasion. That's not some snapshot of the future, because that's not a thing. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. All right. Uh, it's, it's funny how many people can get blocked for mind reading. I've blocked uh, seven or eight people already this morning for actually stating in public that they can read my inner thoughts. Now, if somebody read my inner thoughts correctly, I wouldn't block you. I'm not going to block you if you get it right. But if you state in public, Adams is just thinking this because what he really wants is to eat all the ice cream. Well, I don't eat ice cream, so I'm going to block you for that. All right. Um, Have you seen devs? I don't know what that is. We will never be the same again. Eh, We've never been the same ever. We're always changing. But yes, it's true. It's changing faster. All right. So um, you all wondered why Sweden is doing so well. Actually, their infection rate is kind of high, but not as high as you'd think it would be given that they're not doing uh, a lot of distancing? And haven't you been wondering, what is it about Sweden? What is it about Sweden that makes them not have to do all the social distancing and they're still getting you know, not the worst result in the world? What is it? Well, here's a hypothesis that I heard today. I think this is true. came from an editor at BuzzFeed, so... You can you know, make your own decisions. But I think we could check this. And here's the statistic. It doesn't seem like it could be true, but I'll just put it out here. That uh, more than 50% of Swedish households have only one person in them. <laughs> so it might be there's something about Sweden where they have very small households. And that could be the entire, could be the, uh, entire explanation. So... Every time we think we, we understand what's going on, we probably don't. So if you were saying to yourself, hey, we should let everybody go back to work in this country because Sweden is doing something like that and it's not so bad in Sweden. It's not overwhelming their hospitals, so let's be like Sweden. Can't really be like Sweden. <laughs> we could try, but we can't be like Sweden. <laughs> yeah. Adams is saying this because he wants all the DoorDash deliveries. That's right. Uh, Devs is about the simulation. Oh, it's a show on uh, Hulu. Oh, I'll check that out. All right. Somebody says 60% are in one-person households. That doesn't seem like it could be possible, but maybe. Uh All right. Um... I still get people on the internet who say things to me fairly frequently, almost every day, that sound something like this. Scott, 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 why don't you listen to the experts? Listen to the doctors. You're just a cartoonist. How could you be right if you disagree with the doctors and the experts? 
And the funny thing about that is, that's a, a perfectly reasonable thing to say. I think I've said it many times myself. Uh, over the course of my life, I'll bet there are plenty of times I've said, you know, Bob, you're, uh, you're a gas station attendant. You're not a neurosurgeon. And if the neurosurgeon disagrees with you, I'm going to go with the neurosurgeon if it's about neurosurgery. So I certainly understand trusting experts over idiots, right? I'm not saying that the gas station attendant is an idiot. I'm making a general point. That experts, you should believe them over people who don't know anything. But should you believe the experts over people who have consistently and publicly outperformed the experts? Right? Um, You've fallen for the fake models and hysteria. Block. Because what I've fallen for, or haven't, first of all, none of that ever happened, but if you think I've fallen for something, that's my internal thoughts that you're interpreting, and you can't do that. You don't actually have mind-reading ability. You could observe that I say something, but you can't observe my inner thoughts. That's not actually a thing. And it would be hard to guess my inner thoughts because they're somewhat non-standard, if I do say so. Um, So here's my point. If there's somebody who's a non-expert, who has a long public track record of predicting things and being right more often than the experts, does it still make sense to listen to the experts? Well, you're certainly going to listen to them. You wouldn't want to ignore them. But at what point, and, and how much of a track record do I need of being right in public, publicly predicting things, and being right, and when the experts are wrong? How, how much do I have to do it before people will stop saying, Scott, you're just a cartoonist? So I don't know how, how much I have to do it, but I think I've demonstrated that I can detect BS. So I do not claim I have expertise that is greater than the experts. I certainly don't believe that. You know, and I don't believe that you should take any, you know, any kind of a technical recommendation from a cartoonist over an expert. What I'm saying is, I do have a really good nose for BS. I did, you know, as you know, I, uh, I've been on a lot of uh, stories early and said, no, this one's not true, and then you've watched them not be true. So you, you watched me say, let's close the uh, flights from China before the experts before the experts, and now they agree with me. You saw me say that masks do help before all the experts, and now at least the, the ones who are talking in public, the CDC and uh, Fauci and all those people. And who was right? Was it all the experts? No, it was me. It's not because I have some kind of technical knowledge that I picked up from the air and that I, that I can override the experts who have been studying these things forever. It's simply that I can detect obvious BS. If it's obvious, you don't have to be an expert, right? If, if the best doctor in the world comes in and says, Scott, uh, Bigfoot was in your kitchen. He's been rummaging through your, your groceries. Do you need to be an expert to know that didn't happen? I would argue, I would argue that's a perfect example of where the non-expert could be relied on 
more than the expert. Because if the expert says Bigfoot is in your kitchen, you don't have to do any research, do you? Do you have to do any research? Do you have to look into it? Do you need to Google it? Do you need to go look in your kitchen? You don't have to do any of that. It's obvious that Bigfoot is not in your kitchen. So it doesn't matter how qualified the expert is who says Bigfoot absolutely is in your kitchen. You're not really comparing expertise. You're comparing one person who's good at spotting obvious lies and one person who's telling an obvious lie. It's not, the frame of expert versus not expert is completely irrelevant to spotting obvious lies. All right? So that's all. So my only claim is that I can tell an obvious lie. I don't make a claim that you should listen to me over experts in some kind of general way. All right. Um, if we don't hear a date for at least a partial or proposed reopening, even if assuming it's a phased reopening, if we don't feel any kind of, if we don't get a date by tomorrow, it could change, you know, tentative date. But I think tomorrow is as far as I'm willing to go. Uh, this is just my personal opinion. You'll all make your own decisions. My personal opinion is that, um, well, today, actually, I'm going to start breaking my social isolation today. Now, the reason I'm going to do it is because um, nobody in, in power has proposed a workable plan. And I think it's because there isn't one. I don't think it's a failure of planning. I think it's a failure of there is no, there's no path. So there's no path where everything works out, right? If we wait for a vaccine, it's too long. The therapeutics may or may not slow things down, but it's not going to stop you from spreading it and giving it to people. Um, you know, maybe the blood serum works, but now there's a report out of South Korea that 140 people uh, got rid of the virus and then later tested positive. So it doesn't even look like immunity is promising at this point. So our only choices are to slowly stay home and slowly die or to go out and risk what I think will be hundreds of thousands of deaths. That would be my assumption. I could be wrong. I, you know, Nobody can predict this stuff, right? So if you believe that I could predict it, well, that's not a good... That wouldn't be a, a good opinion. <laughs> but don't believe anybody else can predict it because you've seen that people can't predict this stuff. However, if you're looking at the risk, yeah, the risk is probably up to a million people in this country alone. And my read of the public is we're ready to take that risk. Now, we probably... Um, I'll talk about, uh, I'll talk about uh, Kennedy and Bill Gates. We'll get to that. But I, I, wanna, I don't want to make you all mad first, because I'm going to go on a blocking spree once we get to that topic. So just hold on for that. Um, so there are no proposed or known ways to thwart the virus. We could do, I think you'll see lots of advances in testing. So and we could have widespread testing and, and test, test, test. But given the virality of it and how many months it will take to roll out testing, we can't really wait, Right. Somebody says, chloroquine works perfectly, I hear. Um, my confidence in the hydroxychloroquine is dropping every day. So I would say that anecdotally it sounded kind of promising in the beginning, 
but here's what I fear is true. It's been quite a long while that they've been testing this hydroxychloroquine. And it's something that you could definitely tell is working in 10 days. Because if it doesn't work in 10 days, it doesn't work. And it's been multiple 10-day periods with multiple trials. Now, I heard that there's one trial that's completed, but it hasn't been written up. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It just hasn't been written up. Do they know if it works? Yeah, they know. They know if it works and they know if it didn't. Do you think you would have already heard about it if it worked? I hate to tell you, but I think you would have already heard about it if it worked. So the one test that I think will be the first of maybe a a series of them that are more dependable, you know, a little bit higher level of um, credibility and scientific rigor, Um, the first one's done and you haven't heard a rumor of how it's going to go. I think, I think it's because it doesn't work. Unfortunately. I think, you know, and this is a tentative opinion and and I'm only basing it on this specific, fairly undependable factor, right? So, you know, this is not 100% uh, kind of a prediction. Um, I'm, I'm starting to lean, I'll say, 60-40. Where if you'd asked me a month ago, I would have said, 60% chance this hydroxychloroquine is the real thing. Because there's a lot of anecdotal, blah, blah, blah. Might not be scientifically proven yet, but ah, it sure feels good. As of today, I'm going to reverse those ratios. Still a solid 40% chance that, that it helps. So I'm not going to say it doesn't help. A uh, good 40% chance helps. But I would say the weight of evidence, because of how long we've waited to at least hear the initial hints, if there's a major study that's a valid type in which they're waiting to write up the results, that means it didn't work. I think it's not what I want to be true. You know, I really, really don't want it to be true. But it feels like those tests are not going to tell us what we want, or we would have heard it already. I just think, you know, just the way humans work, we would have heard about it already. So, my suspicion is that some of the tests are showing no results, the hydroxychloroquine, and that's not the news that people are anxious to give you, so it might take a few weeks before we hear that for sure. So, given all of the... Um, there, there are lots of things that could make a difference, but they're all too slow. You know, how long it takes to ramp up to massive testing? I don't know. It won't solve the problem. I mean, massive testing could slow it down, but it's not going to stop 60 or 70% of the public from getting this thing, ultimately. Um, uh, somebody says, you said they worked. Now it's, I don't know. Well, how about... If you hadn't, see, Chris, if you hadn't done the laughy faces, I wouldn't be blocking you now. But I just told you my entire thought process. I told you what I based it on before, and that it was a 60% chance it looked good. And I've told you what changed, and that that new information that we're not hearing from these trials has changed my opinion to 60-40 the other way. Why does that earn me four hilarious laughing uh, icons after the sentence, you said they worked, 
Now it's, I don't know. You said it worked, and now it's, I don't know. No, no, Chris. I never said it worked. I said it looked good. I said the odds were good. Okay? So, at least have something in your mind that's approximately like my opinion before you criticize me for it. All right? Because that's, again, it's sort of mind reading. So, Chris goes to the dustbin of blocking history. At the very least, you should be in the neighborhood of my opinion if you're going to be, if you're going to be mocking me. All right, here's the thing you really wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, uh, let me, let's talk about the uh, going back to work. Uh, so let me say again that uh, I'm just making a personal decision that I'm going to start loosening my social isolation starting today. Now, part of it is because I don't believe there's a reasonable plan to keep me from getting the virus. So I could, I could wait and then get the virus later, but I don't have an option of not getting the virus. You know, it's like a 70% chance if I just live my life. So here's the strategy I plan to take, independent of whatever the Economic Reopening Committee does. Now, of course... Yeah, I'm going to be supportive of that, I'm sure. You know, I'd, I'd like to be as supportive of that as possible, make sure that it's a good plan. But I'm going to make my own decisions, and I know all of you will. And here's what I think is my best plan. And I want to be really clear now. I don't think any of you should take my plan for your own. This is not a smart plan. It's just my plan. <laughs> it's not based on expert opinions. It's not based on good judgment. It's based on who I am and what I need to do. Right? So a lot of this is, is just a personal decision. right? And I've told you before that I'm a pull-the-band-aid-off kind of guy. You know, and everybody is one of those two personalities. Some people will delay forever and you know, wait for something good to happen and maybe act later. And there are people like me who say, I'm not going to live in a world where I might get this virus but I will live in a world where I go out and get it right away. I'm going to pull the Band-Aid off. I don't want delayed pain anymore. I'm no longer willing to put up with delayed risk or delayed pain. I'm, I'm ripping the Band-Aid off. So for me, and again, I'm, I'm not going to do anything that would risk infecting it. If you don't worry, I'm not going to be reckless. I'm just, in small ways, I'll be you know, loosening things up in my, my personal life. But at this point, I want to get the virus. Do not take my example. You should not do what I'm doing, okay? You really shouldn't. I mean that seriously. Do not take my example. But here's the play I'm going to make. I've heard, uh, and again, this does not have scientific backing in terms of, you know, credible... I don't think there's any kind of uh, controlled test of this scientifically. But there's lots of evidence that suggests anecdotally, very risky to use anecdotal information, anecdotally that the amount of the load you get of the virus initially has a big difference on your outcome. In other words, if you're in a cruise ship and you're just breathing each other's fumes, you're just marinating in virus you're going to get real sick real fast and maybe too sick too fast. But if you got a little whiff of the virus, 
and it, and it starts burrowing into your body from wherever you got it, your own immune system has a little bit of warning. It's like, hey, what's that? Oh, let's, let's get ready, guys. And, uh, and just you know, start, uh, <laughs> and start uh, recovering. So my strategy will be this. I will still do you know, enough social distancing in public. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll still do the obvious stuff. I'll, I'll wear a mask. I'll do the basics. But I no longer am afraid of not getting it. I'm now afraid, let me say this, I'm not afraid, no, I'm not afraid of getting it anymore. That fear for me is gone. Now I'm afraid of not getting it. Do you get the difference? Now I'm afraid of not getting it. So I'm going to go live my life, and I'm going to do normal precautions, because I think that's good for the benefit of society to keep, you know, keep the hospitals, you know, um, under capacity. But my mindset about preventing me from getting it just completely reversed. And I don't know if this is just a, a personality thing. Um, in my life, I, I, until I make a decision, I haven't made a decision. But once I decide, well, I'm done. Once I decide, then I'm done. I've told you the difference between wanting and deciding, right? Uh, you might want to not get the virus, but it doesn't help. <laughs> you can want anything you want, but the virus has its own plan as well. Um, I have now decided to get the virus. I'm not going to try to get it. I'm not going to go lick something in public, but I've decided that that's the path that I prefer. And it, it's, it's more of a uh, sort of a mental health trick it's not going to change me doing good common sense things and washing my hands and stuff. But I'm no longer taking the mindset into, into the rest of my life that my goal is to avoid it. My goal is not to avoid it. My goal is to be exposed eventually, whenever it happens, but to get a light viral load. So I'm going to stay out of any kind of environment such as the elevator. I'm going to, I'm going to stay out of any you know, tight room. I'm not going to go shopping where there's a crowd. Certainly not going to go anywhere where there's a crowd for a long time, but I would like to. I would like to get a little bit exposed, because if the government doesn't have another plan, and we can't wait, you have to take the best plan you have, right? The best plan you have is just what's available. You don't get. Nobody has the magic plan. If the magic plan worked the one where you work for the, you wait for the magic cure, you know, if that were two months or three months or even if we knew it was coming and we didn't know when, but we know it's coming, I'd say maybe wait for that. I'd say maybe wait, but I don't see anything on the horizon that actually would stop us all from getting it eventually. No matter how much you test, uh, the therapeutics don't stop you from spreading it. The vaccine doesn't even work all the time on all the people and not everybody's going to get it anyway and it's going to be 18 months or a year or whatever. Anyway, let's talk about Bill Gates. And I'll give you some background first. Um, when I was a young child, I remember thinking, when I was very young, I remember thinking, wait a minute, I don't think this Santa Claus thing holds up. And I forget what age I was. I might have been, I don't know, 
whatever age kids figure out Santa Claus is not real, five or whatever. And I remember thinking it through and thinking, you know, I don't see how you could fit all those presents on a sled and given the average speed of a flying sled and and our chimney doesn't even have, you can't even get down our chimney, it's just for exhaust and and the doors are locked and, and none of this makes sense. Now, if you came to me and said, Scott, Scott, explain to me why you don't believe Santa Claus. Would I give you my scientific argument, let's say as an adult, let's say an adult came to me and said, Scott, are you serious? You don't believe in Santa Claus? What would be my, what would be my reaction? Should I say, well, adult, let, let me look at it this way. Uh, well, let's do the math. Let's, let's figure out travel speed. Let's do the volume of the sled, the volume of the... Ad- Would you do that? No. No. If an adult asked you as an adult why you don't believe in Santa Claus, you would not get into the argument because it's just so freaking obvious that Santa Claus is not real if you're an adult. Let me give you another one. Um, when, when I was 11, I, I, I went to Methodist um, Sunday school. And Methodist Sunday school was where you would go, where um, you'd be taught Bible stories. And my parents were not terribly religious, but they wanted us to be, you know, at least raised in a little bit of that tradition. So we would go to the, the local Methodist school. And I was sitting in Sunday school, age 11, and the instructor, it was some young person, was teaching us about... Uh, Jonah and the whale, and how the there was a large fish that swallowed up Jonah. But then, I don't know, several days later after praying, the fish spit him up and he was fine. And I'm sitting there at 11 years old in the Sunday school, and I'm thinking, really? Really? You're telling me that a big old fish, I think they called it a whale, but maybe fish was the right word, Big old fish whale swallowed a human. He lived in that whale stomach without the benefit of air. There was no bad impact from the stomach juices, the digestive tract of the whale. And then he got spit back up by magic, and he was fine. And that same day, I called a meeting with my mother, and I said, Mom, I don't know how to tell you this, this is, this is a true story, by the way. I don't know how to tell you this, but the things we're learning in Sunday school, these aren't real. You don't really believe these things, do you, Mom? And to her credit, and, and then I said to her, and I will be discontinuing my Sunday school education starting today. I didn't say it quite as adult-wise, but I said it as, I said it as resolutely, as I'm saying it now. I remember even at 11 years old, you'd have to understand You'd have to understand my parents to know that this is a real thing. This wouldn't work with your parents, <laughs> and it wouldn't work with you as a parent. But trust me, this worked with me and my parents. And I just said, so I won't be going back to Sunday school because now you know I, I sampled it. I did what you wanted. I gave it a good try. But it's obvious to me that the stories are just made up and I don't see the point. And my mother said to me, very well. It was never discussed again. 
That was the last day I had to go to Sunday school. Now, I believe my siblings had to go a few for a little bit longer until they sort of rebelled. I don't remember their, their exact plans. My brother can remind me. I'll ask him later. But uh, so at age 11, um, and, and I'm not going to talk you out of your religion. I'm just going to say that that specific story about the fish and Jonah um, seemed clearly unreal. And if you were to ask me as an adult to defend my opinion on that, I would say, I'm not going to. Because big fish eats person, spits them out a whole days later, that's not an argument. That's not really a debate. If you can't see that that's not real without the benefit of the discussion about it, I don't think I'm going to change your mind. Years go by. There's this thing called professional wrestling. And when I was a kid, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't explicit that it's just acting. And I would watch all my peers watching wrestling, and I would say, uh, are, you saying, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Because to me, that wrestling is obviously all acting. And I would look at my peers, the kids, and they would say, no, it isn't. Look, there's blood. You know, look at that. They couldn't possibly be acting. And I would say to myself, you know, I, I can't really argue the fine points of this because this is just Santa Claus all over again. This is just Jonah being eaten by a fish. I don't really need to argue the details. Just look at it. It's obviously acting. And my peers said, no, I don't see it. I don't see it. And, of course, now we know it was. Um, I remember watching the Jerry Springer show. Do you remember the Jerry Springer show? And I watched the Jerry Springer show, and every single episode, the guests would get into a fight. But it was a weird kind of fight in which nobody ever got really hurt. And the first several times, I thought, well, you know, people are seeing other people fighting, and They've just decided that you know they'll do it too because they got some attention. But I kept watching show after show, and nobody got hurt. And it became increasingly clear that they were being coached to do fake fights. And I would tell people, you know, this isn't real. They're you know these are real guests, but they've obviously been coached that they can do this, and there'll be somebody to pull them apart, and nobody's going to get hurt. And, am I right? People argued with me and they say, Scott, you can't just look at it and know it's fake. You can't tell it's fake just by looking at it. To which I said, yeah, you can. Just look at it. (laughs) Just look at it. If you can't tell that's fake, are you serious? You can look at Jerry Springer and not know those are fake fights? You, You can look at professional wrestling back in the day and you can't tell that's fake? You can, you can look at Santa Claus. You don't know that's not real. Easter Bunny? Tooth Fairy? Do you need the argument? You don't really need the argument. They're just obviously not true. Likewise, I went through the phase of you know Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster, and I told myself, well, maybe. Maybe. But, you know, as time goes by and the evidence all falls apart, it's obvious that Bigfoot's not real. If there's any kind of big fish in the lock, maybe, but it's not a Loch Ness monster. And that brings us to Bill Gates and the many rumors of his 
secret goal to um, reduce the population of Earth through eugenics. <laughs> and I've been going down the rabbit hole of reading all the accusations about Bill Gates. And they fall into these categories. Number one, mind reading. Why do I say that? Well, let me give you an example from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. This is a, I believe this is a tweet of his, but it's a quote from him, April 10th. And Robert Kennedy Jr. says, Public health advocates around the world accuse Gates. Uh, who, who, who are these people? Oh, they're not named. Okay. But they're around the world. And they're accusing Gates. Now, that doesn't mean it's, he's, it's true, right? These are just accusations, but I'll keep on going. Of steering uh, the World Health Organization's agenda away from projects proven to curb infectious diseases, including clean water, hygiene, nutrition, and economic development, uh, that serves Gates' philosophy. Oh, and then Gates is serving his own philosophy that good health only comes from a syringe. So this is Robert F. Kennedy reading Bill Gates' mind, because Bill Gates never said, wouldn't you say, Bill Gates never said, good health only comes from a syringe. Do you think he ever said that? Do you think he's ever suggested that? Do you think that Bill Gates doesn't think that clean water and hygiene and nutrition are important? Really? Because he's developing toilets for Africa to fix those problems. One of his biggest projects is fixing exactly the problem, hygiene, clean water, uh, nutrition separate, but I'm sure he's working on that too. Um, So Bill Gates, one of the most famous people in the world, doing the most anybody has ever done that I've even heard of, working on hygiene and clean water, because they're they're related, because the waste in some African countries and undeveloped countries goes into the water supply. So if you can fix the hygiene with a good toilet, then you also clean the water at the same time. Bill Gates is literally one of the world's most involved, effective people on the very thing. And in, in, in public, there, there's a Netflix special on Bill Gates doing exactly the thing that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. says he's de-emphasizing. He de-emphasizing? There's a Netflix special on it. How do you de-emphasize something that there's a, a Netflix special on? And then he goes on. And he, th- and he says that Bill Gates' um, philosophy is that good health only comes from a syringe. Now let me ask you, is that something you need to do research on? Do you need to research and Google to determine whether it's true or false, this claim from Robert Kennedy, who is apparently a fucking idiot, let's... let's you know, by the way, I had this opinion before this. Uh, from from other situations, I had suspected that Robert F. Kennedy was an idiot, uh, and I, this confirms it in my mind. But you don't need to do research to find out that Bill Gates does not have a philosophy that good health only comes from a syringe. Really, this is this is pure Bigfoot material. Robert F. Kennedy says this in public? I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy talk. All right, let's let's go to the rest. uh, So the first category is mind reading, and that was my first example. So if your belief about Bill, Bill Gates' evilness comes from what you believe he's thinking, 
about eugenics or what you believe he's thinking about syringes and health, that's not good thinking. Let's go down to the next one. Next one is guilt by association. There are many photographs of, uh, I don't know how many, but there are photographs of Bill Gates with Jeffrey Epstein. It is uh, well documented that they have been in the same place, been photographed together, knew each other, and indeed, Bill Gates, I believe he's even flown on Epstein's plane. So therefore, guilty, right? Not only that, but apparently Bill Gates has also been associated with this Abramovich woman who's been accused of satanic things. So there, there you have it, right? Guilty. He's guilty. What could be more obvious than he's spent time with people who have done things that, in one case, we know Epstein did bad things. Abramovich, that's more of a murky situation. But you're convinced, right? They spent time together. Did I not just open up this, uh, this periscope by telling you that I personally know two or three people on this economic reopening committee? Now, what are the odds of that? <laughs> the odds, as somebody said earlier in the comments, the odds were pretty good because I'm a public figure. If you're a public figure, have you ever been photographed with or spent significant time with people who um, you found out later were serious criminals or even were criminals at the time? I have. I have spent time with some of the worst people on the planet Earth. In fact, I've had a serial pedophile in my home as a friend numerous times. A serial convicted pedophile in my home. Hello. Personal, personal friend. Sounds bad, right? Except I didn't know it at the time. Do you think I knew it? No, I didn't know it. I th- he went to jail for 15 years soon after. I didn't know he was a pedophile. I didn't know he was a serial pedophile, right? I wouldn't have him in my home if he was a serial pedophile. <laughs> but um, if you look at you know, the world of, of rich and famous people, here's the context that you need to know. Jeffrey Epstein was one of these people who was a social um, connector. So Jeffrey Epstein knew everybody famous. If you took all the pictures of famous people who, who have been on his plane, stood next to him, he met, he knows, is in his phone book, it would be you know, like half of the people you've heard of. He was a connector. When people connect with you at, say, this high level, you often say to yourself, well, I don't know much about this person, but this person is the connection to this other person. So it is quite common among you know, the higher levels of rich people, of which I, I do get a, you know, a glimpse of that world fairly often. It is very common that people connect independent of what they think of each other, independent of whether they think you're a crook, independent of whether they think you'll go to jail someday, independent of whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, a socialist or a capitalist, at the highest levels, you would find dogs and cats sleeping with each other all over the place. Right? 
The thing you don't think is true is that people with opposite feelings who should hate each other, you think that they don't, they don't associate. But you're completely wrong. At the highest, you know, sort of the, the rich level of people, they all associate. They all associate. And there isn't that much distinction between the, the worst of them and the best of them in terms of whether they're connected, whether they've ever been to each other's houses, whether they've been on each other's planes. So if you see on a context a picture of a famous pedophile and he's standing next to somebody else you know, of course it should raise a red flag. I agree with that. Of course it should raise a flag. You're like, what are these two doing in that picture together? You don't think I have pictures of me standing with horrible people? Seriously. Do you know how many pictures there must be? I can't think of anybody in particular offhand. But don't you think there are plenty of public pictures of me standing with murderers and God knows what? Of course. I've taken my picture with thousands of people. And uh, some of them are bad. I know that. Have I ever intentionally spent time with people that I knew to have horrible, horrible things in their background? The answer is yes, and I will continue to do so. I I exert my right without restriction to associate with anyone. And if you're blaming people by association, that's not rational. It's not rational. And it might be that you just don't understand how normal it is for the worst people in the world to associate with people who are not. It's so common that it doesn't mean anything. Now, remember that Epstein and Bill Gates were both in uh, sort of a money-finding world where they were sort of working on these high levels where people were giving money and getting money and donating money and moving money. And so it shouldn't be a big surprise that their paths crossed, but it doesn't mean much more than that. All right. (laughs) Here's the other thing that people miss. If you only hear one side of a story, it's always convincing. So yesterday, somebody said, here's this anti-Bill Gates video showing that he's somehow tied in a straight line from Adolf Hitler through the eugenics and the, you know, the eugenics movement and Planned Parenthood and, and there's Bill Gates and it's all, it's all connected, and therefore, he's basically Hitler. And I look at this video, and I say, totally, totally convincing. So the person who said it would like to know whether the video was convincing. Absolutely. Totally convincing. You know what else is convincing? Every video that doesn't show you the other side. If you think that watching the video is convincing... Well, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Well, I think that too. So that part, I'm an idiot too. So we're both idiots because we both watch the video and we say, yeah, that looks totally persuasive. But you haven't seen his side. What happens when you see the other side? Well, most of the time, the first story just falls apart. So if you're making a decision on Bill Gates because you saw this video on the Internet that made a really solid argument you're not very smart because the internet is full of videos that aren't real that make just as good arguments because they all have the same quality. You're not seeing the other side. The moment you see the other side, it's going to fall apart. So 
So that's the other. So you got your mind readers who are just literally making up stuff and assigning it to Bill Gates. Ridiculous stuff. As if he has a philosophy that good health only comes from a syringe. I mean, that's ridiculous on the surface, right? You don't have to dig into that. Quotes out of context. That's the next one. Um, so there are a bunch of quotes where Bill Gates is talking about population control. There's one where he's predicting that there'll be a coronavirus. What does any of that mean? Nothing. Nothing. It doesn't mean anything. None of that means anything. Quotes taken out of context are only that. They should not convince you of anything. If you see a quote from Bill Gates or anyone else, and it's out of context and it looks really evil, it's almost certainly not true. Almost certainly. And if it's true, meaning that the quote actually happened, it's just out of context. So um, today, in fact, uh, Steve Cortez was tweeting around reminding us that Joe Biden's campaign was launched on the find people hoax. Do you know how many people believe and believed that President Trump stood in front of the public and said that the uh, Nazis in Charlottesville were fine people? A lot of people believe that because if you take one part of his quote out of context, which is what they did, it looks exactly like that. And all the people who saw that out of context, did they say to themselves, well, I better wait because this might be out of context? No. They said it's obvious. They said I'm looking at it with my own eyes. Scott, he said it. He said it. Look at it. Listen to it. Open your ears, Scott. Use your eyes. Read the context. or Read, read the transcript. Trump said those Nazis were fine people. How can you doubt it? It's all here. Unless you actually look at the transcript and find out it's just taken out of context. And it says literally the opposite of that. So... Quotes out of context should give you, you should count them as zero usefulness. Exactly zero. Right? Not, eh, it might be. If you see a quote from a famous person that just looks really evil, the wrong way to think of it is, well, it might not be true, but they wouldn't, probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't you know, probably true. No, it's the opposite. A quote out of context by a famous person is almost always wrong. It's almost always just propaganda. You should assume that that's true. All right, so you got your mind reading. You've got the one side of the story videos that are always useless. You've got the quotes out of context, which are always of zero value. Zero, not even a little bit. And then you've got guilt by association because you knew he knows people that you don't like and have, in some cases, have been demonstrated to have done horrible things. These are, this is sort of it. This is the argument. Now, people have asked me, Scott, can you prove that none of this is true? And of course, you can't prove that things are not true. So I'm going to take this back all the way back to Santa Claus. If you're tweeting this sort of conspiracy crap about uh, Bill Gates, this is Santa Claus... Uh, well, it's Jonah, professional wrestling, Jerry Springer, fine people hoax bullshit. This is the bullshittiest bullshit. Do not insult me by asking me to detail my argument of why Santa Claus is not real. 
I'm not going to detail my argument about why people can't live in a fish's belly for three days. I'm not going to detail my argument about why uh, wrestling is acting. I'm not going to. I'm going to not going to give you my argument about about why all the reality shows on TV are at least a little bit scripted. You know, maybe maybe the producers give, give them a little nudge, if you know what I mean. I'm not going to give you a, an argument for that. It's obviously not true, right? Somebody says, what about Gates supporting the World Health Organization? That's, now, that's a good question, right? So I'm going to give credit where credit is due. So somebody in the comments says that Bill Gates, and this part's true and demonstrated, you can all see it for yourself, Bill Gates, Bill Gates, even today, is saying that the World Health Organization is important and should be maintained. So what about that? What about it? What about that? What's your point? Because do you know who else thinks the World Health Organization should remain in, in business? Everybody. Everybody. So Bill Gates has the same opinion as everybody that the World Health Organization would be good to maintain. What does President Trump think about the World Organization? Same thing. Same thing. Um, If you were to talk privately to President Trump, of course I can't read his mind, but just do do a, a sanity check. Do you think the president, as his first choice, is that the World Health Organization disappear completely? Does anybody think that's President Trump's first choice? Do you? No, you don't think that. You know, because you've been watching President Trump for enough years, that he's a negotiator, and his opening offer is the whole World Health Organization is going to go away because I pulled off my funding. That's the risk. Remember, he didn't even say he's pulling away the funding. He said he's holding the funding until they do the, the uh, research into what happened. Don't you think President Trump would be happier with replacing the leadership and having more influence over the World Health Organization? Don't you think that President Trump would be happier with just a leadership change? Because the World Health Organization does actual real things. Bill Gates knows it. Everybody knows it, right? So if you think that Bill Gates and Trump disagree on the World Health Organization, you haven't been paying attention. They are on exactly the same page. Did you see Bill Gates say, I have complete and total confidence in the leadership of the World Health Organization? No! No! And by the way, if you do see that, then I would like to change everything I just said, and I will agree with you that Bill Gates is a malign influence on the world and must be stopped. Let, let's just let's make it easy. If ever you see Bill Gates, and by the way, I haven't even looked, so I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this assumption without even looking, without even checking first. If you see Bill Gates say that he has complete confidence in the head of the World Health Organization and that they did a good job recently on this coronavirus, if he says that, well, I'll take your opinion. And I will just say, yeah, oh God, I guess you were right. I didn't realize Bill Gates is just evil. But, but it's got to be that. If the only thing you hear is Bill Gates saying that the organization is important, especially in a time of pandemic, then that's the same opinion as Trump. 
don't try to don't try to pretend those are different opinions. One is negotiating, and the other is just describing. Bill Gates is just describing. World Health Organization, they do a lot of good things. If he talks about the leadership being excellent, well then fuck him, right? Can we agree on that? If you see Bill Gates agreeing with the leadership of who, well, we're, dead. we're done with him. Can we all agree with that? If he does that, we will collectively, and I will be on your side, we will never listen to him again, and we will try to shun him from all future public activities. If he does that, he's not going to do that. He's not. All right? So, um, on Twitter, I'll be blocking all the people who still think, who still believe these Santa Claus stories about Bill Gates. Now, I'm not going to tell you that Bill Gates has never made mistakes. There's, there's at least one story in which um, some vaccines he was involved with uh, probably hurt some people. If you heard his side of the story, I believe you would probably understand it in a different light, but it may also be true that people who test new medical solutions, they probably hurt people. Some of them probably die. But of course, the whole point of it is that you hope to save more people in the long run than died. You know, you're blaming Bill Gates for eugenics as he works every day and dedicates his fortune to helping more people in Africa live. I mean, he's literally working every day to keep people alive in Africa. And you frickin' idiots want to tear him down. And I gotta say, I take it a little bit personally. Because what the stuff that Bill Gates is at least attempting to do, and I think has done, are of such monumental, at least potential, importance that when I watch people try to stop him because they believe in Santa Claus and Bigfoot, I, I get a little bit angry about it because I would like the people in Africa to have a better life, and I think stopping Bill Gates from making that happen, or at least attempting to make that happen, is one of the biggest mistakes in the history of mistakes. Oh, somebody says you light my soul today. You know, I needed that. Thank you. Thank you. Because I, you know, I didn't feel like, I certainly didn't feel like I was lighting anybody's soul today. I felt like I was just being angry and critical. So the, the fact that uh, you were getting something positive out of this actually makes me really happy because I, I didn't feel like I was rising to the challenge today, frankly. Um, so I'll, I'll block the people who are the Santa Claus believers. Um, how many people died? Mm, uh, I don't have a real number on that, but it's too many. Uh, you can see I take it personally. I do take it personally. I do take it personally. If somebody's tried to stop somebody from saving millions of souls in Africa, I take it personally. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if you're doing something that will, could kill millions, yeah, I take that personally as a citizen of Earth. Um, donate your money and get out of the way. Okay, I will block you for that opinion. Um, 
this is helpful. Oh, so some of you uh, appreciate this. Uh, and I appreciate that you're telling me because I actually didn't know. Gates has been a cutthroat opportunist his whole career. Um, Gates has been a, yeah, I would say a cutthroat capitalist. But his plan always had been, and he's executing it, is to move from cutthroat capitalist to most effective philanthropist. So I wouldn't say his whole career. Um, Sad. Can't ask questions about important people. Who told you you can't ask questions about important people? Uh, How many lived? Oh, in terms of the uh, vaccinations? Well, I think it was a vaccination trial, so I don't know if it saved anybody's life, but at least allegedly there was some damage there. Uh, Trump also wants the World Health Organization to stay. Of course he does. Of course he does. Who who actually doubted that? That's crazy. Uh, Gates already controls... Well, Gates is puts in a little over a billion, and the United States put in a lot more than that. Uh, or, or did we? Did we put in millions or billions? Did Gates put in more money than we did to the World Health Organization? I actually don't know the answer to that. Uh, Scott wants the world vaccinated so his weak immune system can persist. Mind readers get blocked. You're always going to get blocked if you say, Scott thinks, you know, any sentence that comes after that, Scott thinks that X, probably going to get blocked. Uh, Do you think Texas, Florida, California should open up? Uh, Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You know, yesterday I told myself, you know, if any stores are open, aside from grocery stores, I've decided that I will... uh, frequent them. In other words, if I could walk to Starbucks today, I can't because it's closed, but if I could, I would start today. So my personal decision is that I'm coming out of isolation carefully, carefully, but if any local businesses want to open up, I will give you some business. I can only speak for myself, and I don't even recommend what you do. I'm only speaking for myself. Um, What about Bigfoot? The Michigan governor, thoughts. Well, yes. So here's my thoughts about the Michigan governor. And I will generalize this to what I think should be done. You saw me put together a checklist the other day. I tweeted it around. And it was sort of a uh, a framework or a format of how to think about going back to work. And the way I think that it can work, and really the only way, is for the government to let the, the individuals make their own individual decisions but informed. So, for example, uh, we should have a website that has a checklist, and any citizen can go on there and say, okay, um, over 60, uh, male, I have these conditions, I, I can socially isolate at work, I have to commute in a group, uh, you know, and all those things. So we, we probably have 15 different factors from what zip code are you in, you know, which will tell you if your hospitals are impacted, etc. So the government could fairly easily build a checklist, and then you fill in your checklist and say, okay, all these apply to me, and then it spits out a score. Now let's say your score says you can safely go back to work as long as you're careful. 
you know, still do the mask and distancing or whatever. And then let's say you get a score that's too low. And your score is like below the limit and it's too risky. Should the government be able to tell you not to go to work because some number plopped out of this thing that said it's too risky for you? And the answer is no. Because America, right? The government can tell me what my risk is. The government can't tell me not to take a risk. It doesn't have that right. And, you know, while we all, I think we all respect with or without the benefit of constitutional support, I think we all respect the basic concept that in an emergency, as long as your government seems to be acting, let's say, respectfully, respectfully and rationally, you do want to let them make decisions and sort of take the lead in an emergency. It just makes sense. But as time goes by, if the government is not performing in a way that you need as a citizen, you do get, you do get to take your power back. All right? And we're at that point. So I'm, I'm taking my power back as of today. Now, I don't have any option about going and shopping at my local stores because they're not open. But I can make my own decisions today. And I've decided that the, uh, that the, the isolation, in terms of staying home, uh, is over for me today. So today will be my last day of being as careful as I have been. I'll still be careful. I'm not going to be crazy, right? Don't be crazy. You know, stay safe. But it's time to get back to work. Um, so I think we need to have uh, some kind of a checklist from the government, and then people need to make their own decisions. So tying this back to the question about the Michigan governor, here's what she did wrong. She micromanaged. That's it. So the Michigan governor did not say, these things are risky and these things are not. Use your judgment. She said, you can't go in the part of the store that has the, uh, the vegetable seeds, you know, the garden seeds. And the people said, you know, I might need to grow some vegetables. <laughs> and, and if you, the government, are preventing me from growing my own food in my backyard during what, you know, some people might be worried about a food shortage, then uh, I think the government has lost credibility. Because there's a level of micromanaging that everybody recognizes as too much, and, and she found it. So she found that level that was just too much. Because people should be able to buy farming equipment if we're turning into an agrarian society, <laughs> you know, whether we like it or not. Now, I heard the, the most interesting thing on uh, Tucker last night. I, I love it when I hear something that I'm positive I understand a situation. And then you hear something that just blows your frickin' mind. And you go, all right, all right, I guess I can be that wrong. And here it is. You heard that um, in some states, liquor stores were considered um, essential services. And, and what was your first reaction to that? Are you frickin' kidding me? Are you kidding me? A liquor store is an essential service? That's craziness. Did somebody get bribed? What? Right? Didn't you all have that feeling? And then you heard that you know you could go to the liquor store, but you couldn't go to church, even if even if you were in your car. <laughs> you didn't even get out of your car, and you can't go to church. You said to yourself, "Well, this is insanity." 
Well, I think the church thing was overdone, but not the liquor store decision. And I, I heard, so Tucker had a, I guess it was a governor on, and he explained why the liquor stores were essential business. And if you haven't already figured this out, it's going to blow your mind. Here's why. Because there are so many alcoholics. You see it? If you're an alcoholic and you're not in actually a, you know, a recovery program, and maybe you've got some medical assistance, maybe you're tapering off, whatever you're doing. If you're not, well, tapering probably doesn't work. But if you're not in some kind of a controlled detox situation, it's deadly. It's, it's medically deadly. So the worst thing in the world with, would be that 10% of our population are, are alcoholics. But they're functional, most of them. So most people are just functional alcoholics. What would happen if they couldn't get alcohol? They would steal. Right? They would rob a frickin' store. I mean, not all of them. But you don't want you don't want 10% of your public on the ground shaking and incapable of, you know, of functioning. So isn't that a, a complete, like, mind spinner? That the first time you heard liquor stores were essential, you said, well, that's just... That's just crazy. But then you hear, oh yeah, 10% of our public are alcoholics. And for them, it's actually medically required in the short run. In the long run, it would be better, of course, to, to find some way to get off it. But in the short run, it's actually medically required. And the governor, to his credit, I forget which governor it was, New Jersey, I think, uh, the governor, to his credit, explained it and said, we went to the experts and we said, experts... Can we close all the liquor stores? And the experts, the experts said, whoa, you don't do that. It'll be, it'll be a disaster that you don't see coming. Because they're experts, and I think they're right on that one. So I don't always disagree with the experts, but when the experts say something that is so plainly, obviously true, well, then I do. Then I do. So... Um, here's a perfect example. Remember when I said you can't believe anything about Bill Gates if all you saw was one side? How long did you only see the one side of the liquor store story? And were you not totally convinced that there was nothing else to know? How could there be, how could there be another side? Right? How could there be an other side to the story that liquor stores were essential? <laughs> like you didn't you didn't see that coming, did you? But but keep that one in your mind. Remember the liquor store example as your way of reminding yourself in the future that if you've only seen one side, you don't know anything. It's a real good discipline to have. All right. I've talked too long. I'm gonna go now and do something else and I will talk to you tonight. You know when.